to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to the market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market of Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way that we source products has a potential ripple effect across our great state. That's why we're proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchase support supports our robust regional food system. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear stories of food entrepreneurs. We're glad you joined us live today. We're honoring our social distancing and each calling in for the show. As we are a live radio show, we think it's important for us to be here with stories of hope and inspiration for our listeners out there. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. Sarah Masoni won't be with us today. She's scheduled too many Zoom meetings trying to get those new food products on the shelf. So she'll be back with us next week. I do have a bit of food news for everybody out there. One of my fellow farmer's market neighbors, Giovanni Prince, uh, you may know him as the Cracker King. Maybe you've seen him with his uh, token golden crown at the market. Giovanni makes gluten-free crackers and is looking to expand his operation because he got into Whole Foods. This kind of thing can be difficult for small makers to have enough capital. So he is doing a... GoFundMe. So you can just look up um, GoFundMe or you can look up the Cracker King on Instagram and find the link to to that. If you can even help spread the word to um, your network, that would be great and help fund him and his family's dream. That would be wonderful. So please go ahead and do that. If you're a food entrepreneur and you have a press release for us to announce, you can submit those at startupradionetwork.com so we can help spread the word about events, new products, or anything that you have going on. So send that info our way. I am excited to introduce our guests today. We are joined with Quinn and Theus from Farm Punk Salad. Quinn and Theus are farmers in Portland, and um, if farming wasn't enough, they have also have a line of salad dressings to top their beautiful produce that they grow. So thank you both for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. For sure. Yeah, glad to be here. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, I want to help tell your story and connect other makers and listeners to you. So can you tell us your um, social media handles so people can find you? Yeah, we're most active on Instagram. It's at farmpunksalads. Then the S is um, salads is plural. Uh, So at farmpunksalads. We're also on Facebook at farmpunksalads. You'll find that we aren't there often. Um, but there's still a page. And then our website is www.farmfolksalads.com. 
Cool. And we'll um, link our Instagram to you too, so people can find you that way. Um, but we want to be able to walk through your experience. So I'd like to just start with, um, with the farming piece of it. So tell us when you started farming. We've been farming. Uh, last year was our first year uh, as, as a business. And prior to that, we had been farming for about three years total. Uh, all locally, we uh, the let's see the first year I did a program uh, through OSU that no longer exists, but it's called the Beginning Urban Farmer Apprenticeship Program, and that was just to kind of get my feet wet um, and see what it was like. That was actually the first time I'd ever put a plant in the ground, and so pretty monumental year for myself. Uh, The following year, Quinn and I both worked uh, up at Skyline Farm, uh, which is north of Forest Park, and they were a farm that grew specifically for Meriwether's restaurant out in Northwest. And uh, the year after that, we were at Coley Neighborhood Farm, um, which is a pretty small neighborhood farm run by two really amazing farmers, Matt Gordon and Josh Bulk, who are uh, hugely active in the farming scene here and uh so yeah a lot of the accumulation of that knowledge through those years uh developed into us starting farm out that's very cool so um how did you find the osu apprenticeship program that you did that let me think about that i think um i think it was through uh either growing gardens or um, outgrowing hunger, or it was, it was some nonprofit that I had heard about it through. And I, I think really it was just me looking into the, into the community to see how I might get involved and wanting to learn how to grow food and not really knowing where to begin. Um, that platform was really cool. It gave me, and others an ability to uh, get started. And we only had to do it about two days a week and I was working full time as well. So it was a pretty pretty low commitment um, opportunity. And it was actually at the Northeast Food Bank location, uh, which Mud- Mudbone uh, was at last year. And I think they've now moved on and someone else runs it. But that was the first year that the farm at the food bank had gotten off the ground. So we were growing everything there directly for the food bank, uh, which is much different than what we do right now, but a really cool opportunity as well. We always try to support, um, especially new farms that are in their first year um, from buying produce from them. And I've heard of a lot of different programs that people have gone through kind of like that one, either through, you know, I know Zenger Farms has one and um, there's another one out in Boring um, that has some land that people can use. So I think those are really nice ways for people to get into it. So if, um, you know, we have listeners out there that are thinking about getting into farming, do you guys recommend that um, people go through some kind of apprenticeship before they just get into it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it can be super helpful. I think volunteering is also a really good way. I know there's lots of farms that are always looking for help. Um, and if you find a farm who you're 
like what they're doing, uh, just reaching out and being like, hey, you know, can I come and help and learn? Uh, I know a lot of farms sometimes do internships. Uh, there's also another organization called Rogue Farm Corps, and they're all about getting new people into farming. Um, so those are actually slightly paid internships. I think you get like a monthly stipend and you do it over a whole season. Um, and that happens all over Oregon. So there's the Portland chapter, there's the Rogue Valley, Eastern Oregon. Um, so wherever you're at in Oregon, you can find that as well as an opportunity to learn more. That's super cool. And it sounds like you have mostly farmed in this area in the Pacific Northwest. You haven't really gone south, right? You've stayed kind of here. Um, where's your farm at right now? Because I think I thought you said you moved. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually live, uh, our house is in uh, Northeast Portland, or rather North Portland. The farm is out in uh, Gresham and is, is called Headwaters Incubator program. So it's an incubator that's owned by, run by the East Multnomah Soil and Water Conservation District, which is a mouthful to say. Um, and that is a super awesome program. There's about, this year, I think there's 12 farms there and all different ranges. Mostly it's, most of all the large farms have left. So people like Wild Roots Farm, Flying Coyote, um, they were there last year and this year it's it's a pretty small group and basically everyone can lease out however much land that they need and then the district provides uh most of all the utilities and the equipment so they have barn storage and a wash and pack station they have tractors and tools you can rent per hour um, they provide the water and uh, and also a lot of mentorship along the way so that that's a place where People come in with um, generally a few years of experience and a pretty clear idea as to how they want to um, engage with the market and allows them the opportunity to really build their business um, in order to kind of get to the next point in which, you know, hopefully you can transition to a piece of land. Um, the program's five years, so you have five years to kind of establish yourself. Um, and see if you want to actually continue to do it without taking in all of the infrastructure costs. I think um, I've known quite a few people that have farmed out there. And what I always like about it is that people kind of become support systems for each other. So because, you know, usually if you're a farmer on your own, it's just you and the land and that's it. You know, you don't have people yeah. to really check in with and talk to, but there, you know, so that you guys are at the same one with um, Amica Farms, right? And, um, and the, what's the one that does the canning CSA? Cause that's a really cool one. Um, oh, uh, full seller. Yeah. Yeah. Full seller. So that's cool. And do you guys, um, have good relationships with the other people that are, that are farming? Oh, totally. Yeah. The community aspect of it is so nice. And I feel like that's really when farming is the most successful. Um, and granted, you could go to Headwaters and you can have just your plot of land and you can be a little bit on your own doing your own thing, but there is that opportunity to participate in community. And I find that to be a much more like resilient way to farm because traditionally farming takes a whole community to do it. And so yeah. um, I think that that's a great aspect about that program. 
We were um, talking about recently on the show that, um, that that is a really cool way to do it because then you have this built-in support system with each other and then you build these really great relationships. And kind of another step that I think it would be great if it existed in this community is like, um, you know, how you guys are making your salad dressings. But then um, when I have traveled to other places, they will have like community places like that where anybody can use that kitchen or, um, you know, the canning equipment and things like that. And they will um, together in this like community environment be, you know, putting up all of the produce that's grown. And I think that that would be a cool next step for our, our maker community here. Totally. Yeah, I've been trying to, I want to submit a proposal to get a, a dehydrator for the farm because I feel oh, yeah. like that would help people do some value added stuff. Because um, otherwise, yeah, you have to figure out where you want to rent a kitchen. And there are, you know, shared kitchens, like we're at the New Foods Kitchen, and that's kind of that similar community feel, yeah. uh, feel but it's not necessarily associated like with the farm. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's start talking about the where you make the sauces and that part of the process or your dressings. Um, so tell us about the product that you produce first. Yeah, we have five tahini-based salad dressings. Um, we wanted to base them all around herbs that grew in the Northwest here. So we have a paprika cider, a coriander ginger, a delicious a rosemary sage, and a basil balsamic. They're all sugar-free, organic, canola and soybean oil-free, um, nut-free, and gluten-free. And so, yeah, they're tahini-based with a little bit of olive oil. Each have a different vinegar in them. Uh, they're fresh, so they're not um, pasteurized. Uh, and they are on the acidic side. They're like a 4.1, 4.2 pH. So they've got like a six-month shelf life in the fridge. Do you think there's a flavor that tells your story best? Mm. That's a good question. I feel like they each tell a different like aspect of the story. Uh, you know, I think that the paprika cider was the one that I made first. Um, and it's also the one that sells not as like it sells the least, but it's like my personal favorite. And then the one that's like my personal least favorite is the one that like sells the best. So <laughs> I feel like that's almost the way it always goes. Yeah, with like production. Awesome. Yeah, like I, I was like, okay, I'm going to make four. And the delicious was actually the last one that I made. And so it's a dill, a dill pun there. Um, and I was like, Oh, I should probably make a dill dressing. Cause like people like dill. Right. And like, we can grow dill here. Right. And uh, it's not, it's not my, I don't dislike it. It's just not the one I go for the most. Um, but yeah, I feel like the whole, all the flavors in it kind of tell the story of our farm in terms of that, like we knew we wanted to farm, but we also knew that it's a competitive market here and we wanted to be a little bit different um, so that we could add value to the market and try to get new people into the local food movement versus trying to compete with the people that were already within the scene and so we saw our salad dressings as a way to create something that could pair with our farm product um, that we could make a more like ready to go CSA or meal um, because we found working at other farms, one of the main feedbacks we got was that like people didn't really know what to do with the food because um, in a CSA, you get all sorts of things. You might get rutabaga or kohlrabi and people are like, what is a kohlrabi? And you're like, that's, you know, and so it's, it's a lot of education that's required around it. And that's super great for people who want to do it. Um, I also, I personally have cared a lot about salad. I love eating salad, uh, a lot of it, like 
at least a half pound a day. It's kind of actually remarkable how much I eat. Um, and so we wanted to grow something obviously that we cared about. And we also knew that if we were going to step into the retail world of having this product on the shelf, that we really had to make sure we put boundaries around our farm so that we didn't spend all of our time at the farm. And so we thought by being really specific with just growing salad greens and head lettuce, that it would help us create schedules that we could also support having the salad dressing business. Cause they're really like two businesses under one umbrella of being one business. Um, and so yeah, our CSA includes the greens, head lettuce, herbs, and the salad dressing. And the idea is that it's a little bit more like convenience based. You can eat something in less than five minutes. Uh, the great thing about salad is you don't have to cook it. You know, you just like toss it together and you're ready to go. So uh, I really wanted to make sure that as the world gets a little bit more fast paced, that local food still has a place in that and local farming has a place in that and just making it so that it's like, hey, you know what? It actually doesn't take that much time to eat well and to eat local. Um, and we also saw that like home delivery was really key in that. So we started a, a partnership with Beeline this year to get our salad CSAs bike delivered. I was checking that out on your website and I think it's really awesome to have that service where, um, so, so people can go to your website, they can sign up for the CSA. And then a lot of times with CSAs, people have to either go to the market or go to a specific location or something like that. And so you guys have partnered with Beeline so that it can get delivered by bike to people's door, which I haven't seen a lot of that in, with like CSA delivery. So it's really cool that you have that, um, you know, that service for people, especially now when people, mm -hmm. um, you know, some, if people are compromised in some way and don't want to go out at all, this is a really nice way for them to get really healthy, fresh food delivered to them. So good job doing that partnership. That's super awesome. I think it's really great for people to have that. So um, if people do want to sign up for, for your CSA, that's the best way to do it, right? To go on your website. Yeah. And as of today, actually, today is the last day of our spring CSA. So next Tuesday, our summer CSA starts. So if you want to join our CSA, join by this Friday. Um, you can go on our website, click the CSA tab. It'll give you all the info. I hope it's clear. I've iterated it so many different ways. <laughs> I think it's possible. super clear. I was checking it out last night and I, I think you did a great job. I think it's okay. it's very yeah. easy to navigate. It's You can figure it out. Sometimes things are hard. And I always say this about, um, you know, farming in general, some of the farmers that we work with, they don't even use the internet. They don't have a website. They don't have any of that. Um, even, I mean, I've for about 10 years now I've been doing this. And so it used to be that people didn't even really have cell phones. <laughs> I would have to, you know, call their landline when I knew they weren't out farming. And so um, it was nice to have a really great website that was, you know, you can navigate easy. I think that's an, an important thing for you to have. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of fun doing the marketing and the branding and the personality. Um, and I think that that's another thing that we saw is really important to our business is since we really wanted to get new people into local food who may not have thought of themselves as sh farmers market shoppers or really thought of the, about themselves, maybe they're like, oh, I'm interested in it, but it doesn't work with my schedule. You know, we saw the internet and being searchable and SEOs being like really important to getting new people into it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we're pretty searchable online. 
I think that brings up an, an interesting kind of topic about what new farming is and new farmers are, because I do think that there is a change happening right now, especially in our community, because, um, you know, a lot of the farmers that would normally pass on their farms to the next generation, that's just not really happening here. Um, they, you know, they, they're either they don't have children or their children just aren't interested in taking over the farm. So a lot of people are selling their farms. Um, and a lot of the new people that are getting into farming are people that you maybe wouldn't necessarily think of as farmers. And I think that's really nice. So, you know, um, right away when my farmers started to retire, um, I noticed that there was this kind of influx of female farmers. And so we kind of made it this thing that we were like, we're going to support all these female farmers that are here. And I don't think that is happening everywhere, but I think it's happening in this area. And I think it's really nice to see. Um, but I also think that it, sometimes in the farmer's market community, it's it um, when we first started being at the farmer's market, I don't know if you got, if you know the food waves um, farm, but they um, teach people how to farm. They have a program where they um, teach that and they're kind of these California dudes. And I remember when we first came to the market, they were like, what are these weird old goth kids doing at the farmer's market? Because everybody was either like, um, you know, an older farmer and like Dirk and I showed up and they were like, what are you doing here? And we're like, yep, nope, we're joining your community and you, I promise you're going to love us. Like, it was yeah. just the way it was going to yeah. be, but it was, it was definitely a little weird for all of them. They were just like, who are these people? But I love that. I think that there's like yeah. a lot of really fun people that are now becoming part of farming and and the farmer's market and I think that I mean that's why I wanted to have you both on the show because I think you're the perfect example of that new generation of farming yeah yeah I think it's so important to really break down those old stereotypes of what we think farming is is that it's like old white men you know because it's like you know it's we just need way more diversity in the farming and especially like in Oregon like land access has been so exclusive um and I'm really I'm really excited for what the BLM movement has been doing for the farm community and just the fact that there is so much land turning hands it's a really like awesome opportunity to take it and really like do something different and supportive for the entire community and not just a specific part of the community. So. Yeah, I think so too. I want to talk a little bit about your name because it's kind of on this subject. So um, what made you come up with the name Farm Punks? Why'd you choose that? I have a little side hustle that's mostly just a joke, but I find it hilarious. I make uh, knuckle ring tattoos so they're little like bubble letters that and you have an individual ring with an individual letter on each finger so you can write phrases on your knuckles without having to commit the knuckle tattoos um, and so that's called ring ring thing thing and that's just like a side thing but I, uh, I was working at people's co-op two years ago three years ago and had made the rings farm punk and like wore them to work. And I was like putting out produce and I, I was, like, I've never feel, felt like more seen. I was like, this is exactly what I am. I'm a farm punk. I'm like not really a punk and I'm not really a farm. I'm like something in between the other. And uh, so when we were going to name our business last year, whenever it is that we did that, uh, farm punk salads was what we wanted to do. And um, oftentimes the name farm comes at the end, uh, and that the farm that you have is kind of connected to a certain piece of land that you farm. So it might be like Daisy Valley farm or something, or, um, 
And for us, like we lease land and we may never own land and we might always like try to do it more with like sharing it land with other people. And so, you know, it's more about like the identity and the people behind the farm versus like the piece of land itself. Uh, and really seeing it more as something that anybody could be like anybody could be a farm punk if they wanted to, they like care about farming and they feel like they're a little bit of an edge walker. I'm like, well, perfect. You fit right in. And so um, just, yeah, something that felt a little spunky. I like it. Do you think that um, it brings you a different kind of clientele maybe with, um, sure. yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that we don't have like Caesar or ranch dressing or like South <laughs> Island also like kind of like puts us in the category. I do get a lot of people who ask like, but what about a blue cheese? And I'm, oh, sure. Know? Well, I think no matter what anyone does, people are always going to ask you for something that you don't have. And it, and it will be something that you're like, oh, you just don't, you don't get it. You don't get what I'm doing. And I think that's just totally normal, but it doesn't mean that they don't appreciate it. You know, they'll still like your salad dressings, but they're always going to tell you, you should make ranch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is great, but it's not ranch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something that people, I, I notice it a lot at the farmer's market. People just always want to tell you what to do. And I am mean, just always like, okay, oh, yep. Yeah. I, I hear that, but I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, so did you guys start the farming first and then go into manufacturing of the salad dressings or was it always a part to, to have it be like a whole package? Yeah, it was, it was always, uh, they, they basically, you know, came together at the same time. We, we probably spent a good year and a half, uh, kind of working through the idea around it. Uh, it was actually probably the last idea that we, came across I, I remember talking to uh rowan who is uh the manager at headwaters long before we started there and i was talking to him about the market and just you know how do you make something different and um and i'd gone through a number of ideas and oh maybe we could focus on winter farming or do this you do that and the last one I spoke to was, oh, I mean, oh, I guess, you know, maybe we've also had this idea of, you know, kind of focusing on salad and, you know, Quinn's really good at um, flavor profiles and making dressings and maybe we could make dressings and, you know, kind of pair those two together. And he was like, yeah, that's the one, like do that. And uh, so we had enough, enough friends uh, in our, in our sphere that were, were pretty adamant about us. Um trying to move that idea along so yeah we basically started it at the same time and it's kind of amazing how how both both of them came together um, yeah that's really great i'm glad you had that resource of someone to go and talk to because sometimes uh, especially if you're like creative any kind of like artist musician type person you have just a lot of ideas floating around in your head and sometimes you need somebody to just be like no yeah that's the one <laughs> that's the one that's gonna like work really well for you so it's good that you could have that we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about what a typical day looks like for the both of you Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences because food brings people together. Okay, we are back. 
let's talk about what a day looks for you like for you guys on the farm. Um, because I think what we all hear from entre- food entrepreneurs, especially if you're doing multiple businesses, is that scheduling becomes really important. And you um, talked about that a little bit about having balance. So uh, how do you guys do that? What's a day look like? Yeah, um, you know, it's actually become a lot more clear the last couple of weeks, which has been really helpful. I think we've, we've kind of been able to solidify a weekly schedule. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it helps immensely. So today's Tuesday, which is our um, kind of our back of house computer days. It's when our CSAs get delivered as well. Uh, we do a couple of deliveries. Um, Wednesday, Monday and Wednesday are both harvest days, Monday being uh, the the biggest day of our week. So it's generally, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. is by the time we get home. Um, and yeah, so Wednesdays we harvest again. We do some more field stuff in the afternoon. Um, I, I really like kind of breaking ta- farm tasks up into specific days. So Wednesday we focus on uh, harvest and then cultivating. And then Fridays we do our weekly uh, lettuce seedings in the greenhouse and then focus on bed prep. Um, Saturday is kind of a uh, flex day. We like to try to take it off for personal time as much as possible. And then Sunday, Sundays we spend at the farm doing um, planting, planting lettuce, direct seeding lettuce uh, and other greens. And then Thursdays are our dressing days. And when you um, do your salad dressing days, that's at a different location, right? That you share like a kitchen shared space. And are you both making those together? Yep. Yeah. So we're at, yep. We're at the new foods kitchen. um, That's part of the red. And yeah, we're both there. Uh, Quinn, Quinn will spend the time uh, mixing all the ingredients and doing that. And I spend the time uh, bottling and packing. That's um, similar to how my husband and I do it. So uh, he preps all the produce and then I cook it all down. And then he does the um, labeling and packaging. So it's pretty similar um, in that way. Do you ha- do you both have any employees or is it just the two of you doing everything? Yeah, just the two of us uh, yeah. this year. We, we've, we're kind of right on the cusp of... of uh, you know, it'd be nice to have someone sometimes, but not not quite enough work to uh, to make it reasonable to hire someone. Yeah, it might be a good time to try out somebody that wants to be an intern, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially probably on the farm, I guess. Uh, I yeah. wanted to talk a little bit about your... Um, you know, kind of your mission, because I felt like that was a big part of of your website and your journey. And I know you talked a little bit about it, but um, I just wanted to read to our listeners from your website, if you don't mind. So um, you're, this says, if you were to have a manifest, this would be it. For all edgewalkers, locavores, pragmatic dreamers, emotional beings, and all others in between, we hope that farm punk salads will be a safe place for you to interact with local food and find in yourself all the way that you too are a farm punk. And I think 
that's beautiful. <laughs> I think it just says so much. I um, sometimes will go around and do uh, farmers market conferences and speak to people about what their mission is and and who they are and how it fits into their business. Because sometimes that's there's a little bit of a disconnect between who it is that's making the food and what it is that they're doing. And I think. Um, if you both don't mind, I would love to do use this as an example when I go and talk to people because I think it so perfectly describes what it is that you're doing, but also who you are as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would use a way. Okay. <laughs> well, I think you did a really great job. It's really nice. And I think it's just right there, you know, for people to know everything about, about what you're doing. I also noticed that you said... Um, you know, that your business is a mix of um, art, dancing, something like that, like all of these things. And so I think um, even if people hadn't met you before, they kind of know who you are. And I think that's really cool to have that describing your your business in there. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I love um, being a farmer just because you're very in rhythm with the seasons. And so in the summer, you know, we're just at full blast. Um, but the winter is such a good time to be able to kind of turn away from the outside world and just like do a lot of reflections and write, kind of manifest yourself, you know, you're like, what am I this year? You know, and it changes yeah. every year. So Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I think you guys are doing a great job. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about farming language because there was a couple of things that, um, that I didn't know what they are. So I don't know what no-till practices are. Can mm. you explain that? Yeah, totally. Uh, so the the premise of no-till is is really to keep the to keep the ground and the beds that you that you're growing in um, as disturbed, at, you know, the, the least amount that you can. Um, so kind of in the niche of of no-till, there's a lot of different conversation around what is no-till and what isn't. Um, but basically for us, that means that we um, we don't use any machinery really to, to till the ground. So tilling being uh, con- kind of constantly inverting the layers, which makes it really easy to plant and, and kind of deal with the ground. Uh, we look at we look at it more from the perspective of um, you know the the soil is is holds everything that we need in order to grow the crops and the biology going on in the soil is is the most important part to the whole system and uh, I think that a disconnection that we have you know that's pretty apparent now within industrial agriculture is kind of the disconnection between um, growing food and also caring for the earth. And so bringing these two things back together, I think is immensely important for agriculture moving forward. Um, and you know, these aren't practices that are, that are new to any of us. Um, really they're just ways in which people, indigenous people, um, have cared for the earth all along and something that we, as an industrial capitalist society have lost track of. Um, so yeah, we use a lot of uh, we use a lot of compost, which is really helpful in stimulating um, organic matter in the soil. Uh, we use tools like a broad fork that uh, allows you to 
kind of get into the ground and uh, and lift it up a little bit, which aerates it and brings oxygen down into the soil. Um, and we also use a lot of cover crops. So um, during the winter when beds aren't in production, we'll seed, seed them uh, with different stuff like crimson clover or oats or peas uh, and sometime in September. And then that kind of sits through the winter and helps uh, the, the beds not, uh, you know, helps deal with erosion. Um, and also the kind of the most important thing to soil biology is sunlight and photosynthesis. So the more, uh, the, the kind of, the, the best place you could be in is having plants in the ground at all times. Um, and that allows sunlight and photosynthesis to continue to occur that uh, allows for a lot of biology and fungal matter to uh, inoculate the soil. So yeah, those are ways uh, that we like to participate in in farming that uh, really kind of help give life back to the to the land that we're on as well. Yeah, and if you've never watched a, a video of broad forking, I would highly recommend. It is a fantastic workout. <laughs> I, I do I do a lot of kettlebells in the winter and the spring to get myself ready for all that broad forking. So. I was gonna say it sounds um, like it could be an exercise routine. <laughs> like you really well, yeah, have to get in there. Yeah, old, you know. Old, I just recently um, was writing an article about um, people that are seed savers, and so then it, I I don't know if you have ever listened to there's even seed saving podcasts but um but I got really into this idea of it so I I, and it made me realize how important seeds are to Mm -hmm. um people farming so I just was interested in where what kind of seeds you use or where they where you get them from yeah um yeah seed saving is 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 a whole crazy world too um and yeah obviously super important and, and kind of learning more about where our food comes from and then where varieties have come from and finding varieties that have have been able to continue to be around for thousands and thousands of years is, is pretty remarkable um we we have kind of a mix so we buy a lot of our lettuce seeds from a company called johnny's which is out in maine um they're a pretty large uh seed company farming company for a lot of the small scale growers um and we also like to try to support a lot of the local seed companies as well so wild garden seed is run by um losing his name right now but he he's obsessed with lettuce and he has an insane amount of of lettuce varieties so it's really fun to buy go through his catalog and look for for different varieties to try um as well as adaptive and uprising uh seeds are also places that we get stuff from mm-hmm. we also get some uh we do a lot since we do a lot of grains we a go through a lot of seeds um so it's yeah it's kind of crazy i got so many seeds um <laughs> Because <laughs> a lot of the times, you know, it's like if you are a tomato grower, well, you planted that tomato once and that one tomato plant's good for the rest of the year, you know. Um, but when you're doing something like lettuce, you're harvesting it and then 
it's, you know, you need to replant it again. So lots of, we have lots of gratitude for people who do the seeds because we would be nowhere without seed people. Um, we also get some seeds from Kitazawa. They're a Japanese um, seed company or they specialize in Japanese seeds. I believe they're in Washington, um, but we get a lot of like our mustards from them or other fun Japanese greens. I'll um, make sure to tag the places that you guys were talking about um, just so people can can learn more about them. Um, I, I forgot to mention the podcast that I was going to say, and that was um, it's it's True Love Seed Company. They have a web- website and, and they're seed savers, but they, they connect a lot of um, people's, you know, cultural experiences and that a lot of the different foods that would normally either um, grow here or have or used to grow here or, or all of these things if, if people don't collect those seeds because you can't get them from big seed companies um, you know in a way they're kind of carrying on these traditions of people by saving these certain varieties or sometimes in- introducing them for the first time um, but the importance of then people carrying that on so if anybody's interested in that kind of subject you can check check them out and listen to it. It's really, um, it's really beautiful. It's a beautiful story of continuing on people's, um, you know, traditions and, and culture. So you guys can check that all out. And we have just a few more minutes. So I really want to have, um, let's talk just a little bit about if you have any advice for um, aspiring food entrepreneurs. So some of our listeners maybe haven't started a business yet, but they're thinking about it. Any advice you'd like to give them? Yeah, I think that the best way to really get started is start working for other local small companies. Um, It's so informative in ways that you won't know until you start your own. Um, I worked for Kristen with Blue Bus cultured foods um, for many years. And that has been so, that was so informative. You know, I I was doing her demos for her company and being in new seasons and getting to know grocery store buyers and getting to know how does it work here? And, oh, these are the solution managers and stuff. And so um, if you can just try to try to work for other small companies um, or other farms. Yeah. I was going to say to, yeah, to, to reiterate on that, I think that's, that's super important. And, um, and yeah, there's so many people in the community that are, are willing to, to help and answer questions. Uh, I've always been amazed at how remarkable email is. And when you have questions or there's someone that you want to talk to, um, I've emailed a lot of people through the years and people have always been willing to, uh, reply and, and share their thoughts. So yeah, having, uh, having the community, the community there and, and really taking time to think about um, what it is that you want to do. Yeah, I think that's great. I think anytime that you can try to connect with people, I mean, sometimes I think when people come to either Sarah and I and they want advice for starting the business, um, you know, we always try to have them really connect with other people. Sometimes that means working for someone else. Sometimes it means volunteering for someone else, whatever it is. But um, those experiences become really important to have. Um, I, I always say that I've worked so many jobs and every single one of them became important for me as a business owner, you know, whether it was, you know, doing social work, but then you are around people all the time, you figure out, um, 
people's needs, people's wants. Um, but also even just when I had jobs in like shipping and receiving, I didn't know how much of my life as a business owner was going to be doing that. <laughs> and so it's nice to kind of have it, have that experience from, you know, all those random jobs I worked in the past. Well, we want to be able to send people to you both directly. So um, what's the best way for people to order from you, to interact with you? Is it the website? Yeah, check out our website. Always feel free to send me an email. I'll respond or you can hit us up on Instagram. Um, Yeah. Do you do any um, events like farmers markets or things like that? Or it's, it's really the CSA? This year, we decided to not do farmer's markets. Um, and so we have our CSA. You can also buy our stuff uh, at local milk run, get that delivered to your house. Um, and yeah, you can find the dressings in most new seasons and other co-ops as well. Perfect. Well, I am so glad that you could both join me today and tell people about what it is that you do and who you are. And I hope that it brings you together with some new people. And thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. Market of Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store. With 10 stores in Oregon, it's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and our customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice nearest you, visit the website www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local, so you can too. We record Masoni and Marshall inside of Ned Space. Tune in live every Friday at 9 a.m. or find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you could submit um, those at startupradionetwork.com. And we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production, Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.